We cannot ignore sexual abuse within our communities. Young people who cry out and reach for help need to be helped. When I finally reached out nine and a half years ago, I was not helped. I was ignored. Here's a glimpse into my story and what happened to me when I reached out. As a child, I was always shy. I remember as a four-year-old child being unable to tell people my name when I was asked. I grew up on Shluchas here in Santa Monica with my amazing parents and wonderful siblings. So people were always asking me my name and I was always too shy to respond. My mother, being the incredibly kind mother that she is, always answered the question for me. Growing up on Shluchus in Santa Monica and seeing the amazing work that my parents have done for the Santa Monica community is a huge source of pride for me. Our shul was comprised of a beautiful community full of people who came together week after week to connect to God and to share in each other's lives. I have very warm childhood memories of going to shul as the rabbi's daughter and connecting with the other Jewish people who lived in my neighborhood. I also have very fond childhood memories of visiting my grandparents' home who live here in L.A., Babi's may she live and be well, and Zaidi's Al-Vashalom house was its own kind of Chabad house. There were always people there, and people were always made to feel welcome there. My grandmother, Mrs. Frida Bistomsky, knows who is a survivor of Auschwitz, knows that I am speaking here tonight, and she is extremely proud of me. She is proud of me because she knows I have come here to speak the truth. And as a survivor of the Holocaust, she knows how important the truth is. I didn't know this until about two weeks ago, but my mother just told me that when I finally told my parents nine and a half years ago that I was sexually abused by a rabbi in our Chabad house, the only person my mother confided in that it was me who was abused was my grandmother. In her words, in my mother's words, when you told us what you've been through, Sima, our world was trembling. It was falling apart. I went to Bubby because she is so strong and I needed to get that strength from her. And I believe I have some of that strength right here in my genes because I don't think I would be standing here right now if I didn't have that strength for my bubby. When I was 14 years old, young, naive, innocent, and completely clueless about anything related to sexuality, a very sick married man made his way into my life and destroyed every, every pure and innocent cell in my body. He destroyed it by intimidation, coercion, secrecy, and threats. 
He was the son of another shliach from the same city as me who ended up working in my parents' Chabad house because my parents are such incredibly kind people. This man was extremely charismatic and loved dearly by, all, by many members in our community. He and his wife were heavily involved in our shul and its functions. And he was also the life of the party. He brought in a lot of donations. There was always a reason why my abuser would explain to my parents and me I was needed to accompany him on the various errands that he would run for the shul. He would convince me I needed to go with him to Party City to pick up things for the shul's parm party. I needed to go with him to the pet store to pick up pet feed for the pet animals that he had. He made me feel very special and singled out. Little did I or my parents know that these were his grooming techniques. He was paving a path for him to pave a very, very wide path of destruction. He and I had this secret which terrified me. And he would tell me, he would scare me, by telling me that if I tell, tell anybody what he does to me, he will take his gun to his head and kill himself. And I knew he had a gun. I was confused, scared, and eventually deep down I knew something was very wrong with what was going on. I just didn't know how I could put an end to it without my entire world caving in. How would I tell people that this charismatic rabbi was being sexual with me? a 14-year-old, who would believe me? What would happen to the shul? What would happen to our wonderful, beautiful community? Nobody knew, and I was too scared to tell anyone. Around the same time, I began experiencing severe anxiety and panic attacks. I went to therapist after therapist. No one was able to pin down why the, re the reason why I was suffering so much, and I surely wasn't disclosing anything about the abuse. No one was able to figure it out. My attendance in school dropped significantly, significantly, and so did my grades. But nobody knew why. Nobody knew my secret. When I was 17, after finally confiding in a friend of mine, she gave me the courage to put an end to it. And I recently thanked her for that, because we've lost, lost touch. I cut off all contact with my abuser. I avoided going anywhere there was a chance that I might see him, and this meant avoiding going to many places. I didn't go to shul. I didn't go to community events. A couple months later, I went to Israel for seminary, and I was finally away from it all. I, I had this chance to just be me, and I, I learned that I grew a lot that year. The moment I returned home from seminary and I realized that this dangerous man was still there, he didn't magically disappear, as I wished he would have, I mustered up every ounce of courage to get my parents into a room and tell them the most devastating news of their lives. 
close your eyes and imagine for a moment what it might feel like when your own child tells you that the person that you hired to work for you molested them. I cannot imagine the pain that this brought my parents. But aside from my parents' pain, we as a family, as a shul, and as a community had a huge problem on our hands. We had a charismatic rabbi who I now reveal to be a serious danger. My parents really didn't know what to do. What to do. How, how would we tell our community that this man is a molester without compromising my anonymity, which was really important back then. My parents were told about a social worker who was at the time working at Elenu Jewish Family Services at the Jewish Federation building on Wilshire Boulevard. I met with the social worker, Debbie, and I told her everything that had happened. She promised me and my parents that she would help us and would get rabbis from the Halachic Advisory Board involved. Four Los Angeles rabbis were assigned to my case. Rabbi Yosef Shusterman of Chabad of North Beverly Hills, Rabbi Barish Goldenberg of Torah Semes here in LA for boys, Rabbi Gershon Bess, and Rabbi Avraham Union of the RCC. A hearing was scheduled to take place. Let me just pause here for a moment. You might be wondering, why didn't I go to the police and press charges? Well, I didn't go for many reasons, but I'll share a few with you. I was 18, unmarried, and terrified of the public finding out that I was sexually abused. Clearly, I've come a long way. The idea of fighting a legal battle with a man that repulsed me was terrifying. And for some reason, I had this very strong, albeit very false, faith that these prestigious Los Angeles rabbis would certainly help me notify the public about the dangerous man. Right? Wrong. The hearing with the rabbis was very emotional for me. It was the first time I was openly talking about the sexual abuse that I had endured. The Alenu social worker Debbie and I sat down with the rabbis. There was a mechitza between us and the rabbis. And I poured out all of my pain of the molestation that I had kept locked up for so long. I cried and cried. I told them everything. So many details. They asked me questions and I answered them all without hesitation. Finally, one of the rabbis raises his voice and asks me, what is the name of the man who did this to you? And I was like, finally, this moment has arrived. I had just waited for this moment for so long. As I was opening up my mouth to say the name of the man who sexually abused me for two and a bit years, one of the other rabbis at the hearing, the only Chabad one there, interjects 
and says, I was like about to say his name. He interjects and says, let's hold off on saying the name of who it was for now. I was instantly infuriated. What? I thought. Did I just hear what I think I just heard? I turn to Debbie and I say, I am saying the name. Debbie says she's going to say the name. And I say the name of my abuser. I honestly didn't know who was the one with more chutzpah that dark evening. Was it me for going against what an esteemed rabbi had requested? Or was it that rabbi who asked me to remain silent? I don't know from where I had the courage to disobey a rabbi and actually say the name of my abuser. I was in such a broken and vulnerable state. But I am so glad that I did not allow a rabbi to shun me into silence. The rabbis then told my family that everything will be taken care of and that we should not mix in, that we should leave all matters of, my, of the story of my abuse to them. They will take care of everything. To make a very long story short, my family got absolutely no backing or support from the rabbis to show our community that the allegations were true. I was not offered any help or support personally. And until this day, not one of those rabbis has called me to ask me how I am doing. They simply sent me off that night with random blessings that I should heal and be well, that I should find my shidduch. I guess that one came true. At one point after the hearing, being that we are fellow shluchim, my parents had a private meeting with the Chabad rabbis that was at the hearing. They just needed to discuss the best way to deal with the issue. I mean, my parents weren't getting any support, and we had this huge community that was like about to fall apart. So we met with this Chabad rabbi because he was a prestigious, he's a prestigious rabbi, and we thought, hey, my parents thought he'll help us out. He told my parents that they had absolutely no moral, legal, ethical, or halachic reason to say anything about the abuse to anybody. Let me repeat that. An esteemed Chabad rabbi said to my parents that they have no moral, legal, ethical, or halachic reason to say anything about the abuse to anybody. He also told my parents numerous times to tell our community that this rabbi would be leaving for personal reasons and not to disclose the real reason as to why he was leaving. What I later learned is that my abuser was sent to therapy by the rabbis and that one rabbi in particular took him under his wing to guide him. My abuser told everybody, that he is resigning from his position at our shul and went on to live in a different community.
becoming a serious danger to the people around him there. The community that he moved to was not informed and had no idea about any of this. The rabbis who knew about the abuse did not warn the the, the community that he moved to about the dangerous man who just showed up in their town. If there's anyone in the world who supported me through this living hell, it was my parents. They began telling our beloved shul members the truth that my abuser was indeed fired and had to go because serious allegations of sexual abuse had come to their attention. They told everyone the truth that the rabbi molested girls. Yes, we found out it was not only me and that he was fired from our shul. Now, they obviously couldn't disclose the details to people, such as the names of the victims, such as me. I didn't want people knowing. So my family got a whole variety of reactions from our community, some of which I'll share with you. Some families didn't believe my parents. Some families blamed my parents for it. Some families moved out of town without explanation. Some families boycotted our shul. And some families and individuals even went to the California Chabad headquarters to try and get my parents fired as Chabad Shluchim. Meanwhile, as soon as my molester's family heard that my parents were telling people in our community that their son was fired from our shul because serious allegations of child sexual abuse had come to their attention, they called my parents liars. One of the other local shluchos who works together with my abuser's family in their Chabad house even called my mother and made it very clear to her that she is no longer welcome to bring women to the only women's mikvah in Santa Monica. Yeah, it's pretty painful stuff. It's kind of interesting that it was my parents who people were so upset with. My parents, the ones who were getting rid of and warning others about a sexual predator. My parents who were trying to protect the community from further harm. My parents who were speaking words of truth. What I do need to say here is that throughout all this turmoil, there were a number of families and individuals who remained steadfast in their support. who remained steadfast in their support of my family and our shul. And to you, I say, thank you from the bottom of my heart. The the negative reactions from the rabbis that that I approached and from some people in my community are worse than the abuse itself. Because these friends, these wonderful people, when I think about my childhood, I envision these families that I shared it with. And when I came forward and I, well, they didn't know it was me, but I, I, I came forward with my story, they abandoned me. They dumped my parents. 
They dumped our shul, and my parents devoted their life to this. That really hurts. Till today. Nowadays, when I experience pain, when I experience pain, and when I find myself crying about what happened to me in my past, I don't cry because I was sexually abused. I cry because of the pain and the anguish that I have felt all these years because the people of my childhood that I cherished the most were not there to support me. I cry because important rabbis did not listen to my cry. And I cry because I know that I stood up for the truth and all I received in return, for the most part, was ambiguity and silence. And I just got some more of that silence tonight. So almost 10 years have passed since I came forward to the rabbis. And I simply refuse to remain silent for any longer. Don't... Don't think you're safe and immune to this epidemic. I know that you are not, and I will tell you why. After my abuser moved to another city, he opened up a new organization and a website offering a whole variety of rabbinic services, including tutoring, counseling, Shabbat dinners, holiday parties, among others, which provided him with the means to have access to children and teens. Basically, he recreated the perfect environment for himself to continue what he was doing previously before he left my community. And that's not surprising. Because research has shown that abusers don't just abuse some people and then stop. They can, molesters have an illness. They continue to abuse. This behavior doesn't just stop. About two months ago, in the process of JCW exposing my abuser, my abuser received a phone call from Mayor Seawald asking him about the allegations that have come up nine and a half years ago. Mayor asked him if he ever apologized to any of his victims or if he ever planned to. The, conversa the conversation was short. He denied everything. Apparently, though, my abuser panicked and called one of the rabbis on my halachic advisory board. The rabbi at Torah Semes, the one who took him under his wing to guide him, who in turn called Mayer extremely perturbed at the idea of JCW exposing my abuser. Shortly thereafter, my abuser's website was down for a short while, and when it was back up again, it was updated with the word adult strewn all over the place. You can check out the website for yourself if it is still up by the end of tonight, and you will see that this rabbi seemingly only offers his services to adults. However, I learned that this is indeed not the case. A couple days after my abuser was exposed by JCW, I got a Facebook message from an old college friend of mine saying, Hey, Sima, I remember you being part of the Santa Monica Chabad community. Do you know anything about what happened with so-and-so, my abuser. My husband is good friends with him, and we frequently go to their home. 
she has a young child. This young woman and her young family frequent a molester's home and have no clue about the danger that he is. This is the atrocity that abuse is able to continue and continue because um, they just move to another neighborhood and become a threat there all over again. We are so blessed as a global Jewish community to have an organization called Jewish Community Watch. If not for JCW, this young friend of mine and countless other people could have possibly never found out about how dangerous their friend really is. Her child could have been his next victim. How scary is that? This is why I feel so compelled to come here tonight and share my story with you. How are we going to protect our children? How are we going to get our community leaders and rabbis to recognize child sexual abuse as a serious, dangerous, life-threatening problem? If our rabbis don't take a stance against child sexual abuse within our communities, then who will? And to all the rabbis who protect abusers, including the rabbis on my halachic advisory board, shame on you. Shame on you for not speaking up. Shame on you for failing our communities. Shame on you for putting our children in grave danger. Shame on you for being complacent. It is not uncommon for survivors of sexual abuse to experience re-traumatization after stressful events in their lives. Some professionals may call this triggers or going through a triggering experience. Just recently, this past September, after a series of some pretty stressful events in my personal life, I went through a triggering experience in which I truly felt like I was at the bottom of a pit. But this time, it was the lowest bottom I've ever felt. At the bottom of that deep pit, I came to a realization. What I realized is that there's not a single person of flesh and blood that could really help me. What I realized down there was that only a higher power, only God, can really get me out of here. I've been on a soul-searching and renewing journey ever since. I've learned to listen to the peace of God that is inside of me, my neshama, my soul. Since the day that Mayor told me that there's going to be an event in Los Angeles, my soul would not stop. All I heard it say was, Sima, you've got to go. Sima, this will help save so many people. Sima, you can't enable more abuse to go on. Sima, you're doing it. And here I am.
speaking here tonight, at least I know I've done my part in protecting our children. I always told myself I will not die with this story. People need to know the truth. People need to know what really happened. When a child reaches out for help, we must listen. We must believe them. Stories of sexual abuse cannot continue to be shoved under the rug. I don't want a single other young person to go through the living nightmare that I went through. And now that I've done my part, I turn to you. And I ask you, every single one of you sitting here, what are you going to do to protect our children? How are we going to get our community leaders and rabbis to take a strong stance against child sexual abuse within our from communities? Because this I can tell you with certainty. We have every moral, legal, ethical, and halachic obligation to do everything we can to address child sexual abuse within our from communities.